Welcome back to the Great Western Woods. I apologise that my voice is a little bit croaky today. I was at a literary convention all day yesterday and it was really noisy there. So I was kind of shouting over people all day and I'm really tired today. But anyway, let's get started. So last week we talked about laying out your map and how to choose where your towns are. Today I'm going to zoom in a little bit and we're going to look at these communities a little bit closer. So people come together and build communities for several reasons. For one thing, it's convenient, okay, um, with everything that you need close together all in one place. But additionally to that, we are communal creatures. If you think back to the early humans when they lived in tribes, being alone meant almost certainly death. They just couldn't survive by themselves. And so we tend to herd together because there really is safety in numbers. These early people could only survive by working together and that instinctive need is still ingrained in us today. Being in a tribe is safer. You can rely on the strength of other people and you can take up a role for yourself that makes the most of your personal strengths. If you think about it, the fear that a lot of modern humans have of like standing out, of not being accepted, of being ostracized, it is a very base need to be part of a tribe. Because if you were thrown out of your tribe, ultimately, you would die. I think that when you're world building, you need to remember that we are, first and foremost, animals. We have instincts and basic needs that need to be fulfilled. So never forget that. Never forget that we're just animals trying to survive. It's handy to think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which lays out what humans need and what the priority of those needs are. So at the bottom of the triangle are physiological needs which need to be satisfied before anything else. So this includes breathing which actually may be a consideration in your world um, if your population need help with the air in any particular way. Uh, water, food, sleep, clothing, shelter and sex because obviously they need to keep their species going. And this level, this base level of needs, has to be satisfied before moving on to anything else. The second layer of the triangle is safety needs, which include personal security, emotional security, financial security, health and well-being, and safety needs against accidents or illness. Beyond that, it moves on to social, emotional and psychological needs. And I've already touched on the social ones about the need to belong because even outsiders have their tribes. So there are lots of subcultures within the overriding culture. So think about when you see someone else wearing a T-shirt for a band that you like or a TV show or they're reading a book that you like. Whether you choose to act on it or not, you feel a certain affinity with that person 
So yeah, even those who choose to live outside of the established norms for any society still have that base desire to belong somehow, in most cases. But anyway, my point is, humans like to create communities. They like to live together for the sake of both physical and psychological needs. So think about your main setting, and it might be anything from a single cave dwelling or a remote farm, right up to a huge city or some kind of space station or port. There are some considerations, things that you need to think about that are universal, no matter the size or complexity of your community. For instance, whatever kind of community you're focusing on, it needs to follow all the rules of your world. So, for example, if you're on a low-gravity planet, you have different considerations you have to make for that, from how the toilets work to how food is stored. Or, if your world has toxic air, then even the tiniest dwellings will need filtration systems and airlocks, so you're not going to have anyone sleeping out under the stars at night. Make sure that it makes sense in your world. You need to think about building materials, so what's available locally and what needs to be transported in, and therefore you need to think about how it is transported in. And you always need to be thinking about the cost of things too, because the building companies will be thinking about cost and the logistics companies will as well. So while richer parts of the city may be building with better and more advanced materials, the poorer areas won't be. And within this, you need to think about who is doing the building and with what kind of equipment and what kind of manpower they have. So people who are building their own homes with their own hands will be building very different kinds of dwellings to huge building firms who have a workforce of several thousand. I actually discovered something really interesting on Twitter the other week. It's amazing what fascinating snippets you can stumble across. And this was something I'd never thought of before, but it's totally relevant if your setting is more sort of like historical rather than futuristic. So before the days of central heating and air conditioning, houses were built in very specific ways in order to regulate the temperature and cope with the local climate as much as possible. So in warmer climates, homes were built with very high ceilings because hot air rises and they could actually achieve as much as a four degree difference in the temperature at the bottom of the room compared to up by the ceiling. That's, that's an impressive difference. Now apparently in Brazil, homes were built with a minimum room height of three metres. But in the 20th century, in an effort to conserve building materials, the height of ceilings was lowered by 20 centimetres each decade until they reached the standard modern height of 2.6 metres. For every 20 centimetres lower that the ceiling was, the temperature in the room actually increased by one degree. Now, at the other end of the scale, you have very low ceilings in countries with cold climates. The fireplaces were designed specifically to draw in fresh air and expel the smoke out of the building. In Japan, with hot summers and relatively cold winters, wooden houses with sliding openings 
allowed for fine tuning of the interior temperature and achieved a really good flow of fresh air throughout the building. Now these guys really knew how to build in a way that complemented the world around them without need of air conditioning or central heating or ventilation fans. It's far more economic and far better for the planet. And it's a really interesting thing that, like I said, I'd never even thought about before. So you need to consider the climate of your land and think about how homes would be built in order to make the best of it. Yeah, that's an interesting bit of research for you. So let's go a little bit wider now. Think about how the streets are laid out. In the UK, we have our towns and cities set up in a specific way. The centre, where most people shop and work, the population is far denser, with people living in high-rise blocks of flats, packed tightly in together, maximising the occupancy level of any given piece of land. Moving out, you'll find terraced streets with rows of houses joined together, often with their front doors right on the pavement and sometimes with gardens behind them. Further out, you'll find the houses slightly more spread out. They'll be semi-detached and then further out, completely detached. Of course, there are poor areas and rich areas and the kind of housing and the quality of housing is different. You'll also find very different shops and businesses situated in these areas. You need to think about placing schools, hospitals, think about transportation links and so on and so forth. People like to be close to things, close to where they shop, close to where they work, where their children go to school. They like convenience. Another consideration is communication, which, of course, will depend entirely on the level of technology in your world. So how people on one side of a city speak to people on the other and how long that communication takes to reach them. You might also think about surveillance and security. In regards to this, think about the goals of the surveillance. Is it to protect people or is it to watch them? Think about fences or security barriers. Are they for keeping people in or keeping people out? Those are very different things and that will depend on the social setup. For some people, a secure fence means safety and for others it means incarceration. So think about like when you go to the zoo, it's the exact same fence that's between you and the lion but it's there for very different reasons depending which side of it you're on. Because as I'm always saying and it's worth reiterating this to always be saying it to yourself, your world and the people in it are not separate things. Okay, towns and cities are designed in very specific ways, right down to the micro level. Always be thinking about why. A lot of time, it's money. For example, the sequence of traffic lights, are they designed in such a way to get people into the centre of town faster where they'll be spending money? So take a walk around where you live and look at it, and I mean really look at it, and always be asking why. Why is it designed like this? Let's pull away from the social aspect of things for a moment and back to the mechanics. And let's look at naming things which you know I love. Streets are often named in clusters, given a kind of theme. 
So I live in a street that's named after a kind of tree and several of the streets around here have different tree names. Streets may be named after a landmark or an important person or their history, either something that happened there or what used to be on that site. And there will be different trends at different times as well. Names might even be nothing more than just meaningless garbage just because somebody thought it sounded posh or appealing. You often get upper whatever and lower whatever or whatever east and whatever west. So think about street names in comparison to one another as well. Think about how rich or poor the area is because that will have a difference too. And in regards to that, if they're trying to increase the popularity of a certain area, trying to make it more upmarket, new streets will have very carefully planned names to attract the right kind of people because having the right address means a lot in terms of your life chances. And here we are back to the social aspect again because your world cannot live in isolation from its people. Different areas have different reputations and they're known for different things and the associations with any place will be very different for people who have lived there all of their lives and the newcomers to the area. And this is a fluid thing as well, so it will change over time. So bad areas can eventually become more upmarket, although those original associations may linger for several generations regardless. And good areas can lose their reputation either because of like economic crashes or the closure of industry, which leads to job losses or a tragic event like a murder or a riot or a crime spree. So nothing is set in stone, but reputations can be stubborn. So the locals may well have a slang name or a local nickname for a place which seems to be at odds to what it currently is like. And those locals may not even know why they have that nickname for a place. The reasons may have been forgotten over several generations, even though the nickname itself still survives. So hopefully that's given you loads of things to think about when you're putting together certain locations and bringing your population together in areas. So I'll be back next week with another episode and hopefully a less croaky voice.